0: Up. I'm a child of God. God. Having my, my hand, the powerful word of God, word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, broken heart. save man's soul. Amen. Lord Jesus, today, Jesus speak to me, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say, whose fault is it? No, you got to do this, whose fault is it? Come on. Uh I love America. I make no apology about that. I enjoy the freedoms that this country allows us to have. Especially the freedom to worship a true and a living God without restraint. I would like to continue living here if at all possible because I still believe the United States is the greatest country on the face of the earth, but I reserve the right to change my mind about that matter, the same way that God can change his mind. I love America, but I don't have to like the direction she's heading in. Might our country actually be facing God's judgment for its offenses against Almighty God? And if so, who's at fault? We live in a time when it's easy to point a finger, isn't it? I've discovered over the last several years that uh, anything that I have that's a problem can be attributed to George Bush. Every problem I have faced in my life is George Bush's fault. In fact, I found out Friday that I have a gas leak on top of my gas tank of my car. George Bush's fault. fault. I believe terrorism is a great threat to the United States, but it's not our greatest threat. Oh, I know we have powerful enemies around the world, and the most, but the most powerful are really much closer and much nearer than we think. Evil exists, seems to be growing, but it may not be concentrated in the part of the world that we think. I believe America's greatest threat is not from without, but from within. We are our enemy, and I am convinced that God is generally displeased with us as a nation. He's assigning blame for sin, and we need to answer. In Micah chapter 3 is where we're going to spend some time this morning. book of Micah is a great one. He's a prophet. And what he's teaching in this Old Testament book sure fits us today. He wants his nation to know that the God they serve is not only a God of love, mercy, and grace, but also a God of judgment. And though God would rather bless and demonstrate love and continue to extend grace and mercy, there does come a time Because of sin and rebellion that God's patience is exhausted much like a parent with children who continually disobey your patience runs thin does it not mom and dad you know what I'm talking about it's when they you ask them and you ask them and you plead with them and you plead with them and they look at you and they look at you like you're a wild-eyed crazy person and they don't seem to respond at all until your blood pressure is about to burst through your head and the veins on your neck are the size of Mount Gibraltar and your voice is so cracking so much from yelling so loudly and they look at you and go, okay, okay, you just had to tell me. I think sometimes that's where God is with us. In Micah 3, the prophet lays it out for us pretty clear. Eventually, God will give a nation or any individual what they're demanding. You see, God's not going to force us to follow him, is he? He will not force us to do it. He will allow us the choices that we make. Much like a good parent at times will allow their children to go ahead and make that mistake because it'll be a good learning experience. Amen? Now the problem we have today is parents bail out the kids. Ask any of our teachers here, any of our coaches here. It's never their child. It's not their kid. Their kid's not the instigator. Oh, there's no way that my child could do this type of thing. Really? Really? Go and look in the mirror. Where do you think they learned it from? Man, he's he's, whoa! whoa. You see, it happened in the pre-flood world of Noah's time and at Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the way, if God didn't believe homosexuality was wrong, then he owed Sodom and Gomorrah an apology for the urban renewal plan that he placed on them. Now, I didn't say hate the sinner. I didn't say that God didn't love the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, he gave them time after time after time. He said, if you could find how many? Five. Five. It even happened to God's chosen nation of Israel. God said, you want it? Here you go. Will he make an exception for America? Oh, I think not. Micah speaks by the Spirit of God. He points a bony finger at three distinct groups of people. And he says unequivocally, it's your fault. He desperately, Micah desperately wants the people to understand that God who loves sinners still hates sin. And sin must always be judged. His holiness demands that. Praise God that if you're saved, you will never be judged for your sin because 2,000 years ago it was taken care of at the cross. Say amen. amen. But that does not mean that we can live careless, haphazard Christian lives. The same Bible that teaches that we will not be judged for our sin also tells us that we will indeed be judged for for how faithful we have been. All individuals will one day be judged. And there is such a thing. As the judgment of a nation. Micah 3.12 talks about the nation being plowed as a field. A metaphor describing judgment. No nation was as pure in its inception as the nation of Israel. But God himself in Genesis 12 tells us that. And yet. Yet. And yet, even Israel went corrupt and the vast majority of the people ignorant or indifferent concerning that corruption. And for that reason, the prophets of judgment came along like Micah, calling the people to repentance and making the people aware that the God who would rather bless will also blast them with His mighty hand. I'm optimistic About our nation's possibilities for the future, but I think we should be realistic. And part of loving America is wanting to save it from a corruption that most people are seemingly ignorant of or at least indifferent to. When the leaders of our land promote evil over goodness and holiness, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. I don't know where you stand on the abortion issue, but I know this one thing. That my little grandson, at the moment of conception, was alive. And nine months later, well, (laughs) almost nine months later, he said, here I am. And he didn't wait around to come in. He just said, here I am. And I didn't see a blob of nothingness laying there on a table. I didn't see my son holding up a blob of nothing. That was developed and living inside his mother. Let me give you the fault lines of American problems today. Number one is corrupt politicians. Look what Micah says, beginning at verse 1. And I said, Hear now, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them, break their bones and chop them up as for the pot and melt and meat in a kettle. <laughs> reminds me of tom brokaw years ago had a on nbc had a segment weekly that he called the fleecing of america any of you remember that it highlighted the price americans pay at the hands of leadership gone wrong i think you could have put these three verses into his teleprompter and no one would even have known the difference I believe there are six requirements for government leaders. Let me give you six from the book of Proverbs, the wisdom book. I'm going to slip one in from Psalms just because. But here they come. Number one is righteousness. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, what? What does it say? Read it out loud. It's right up here. What happens? They groan. They groan when the wicked are in power. How many of you love what's going on in Washington, D.C.? I love it when they're on recess. Because at least they're on recess and they can't make a decision. Thank you, Jesus. A king detests wrongdoing for his rule is built on justice. Why is it that today we look for skills and credentials and we don't look for morality? A leader should be one full of morality as well. Second requirement should be wisdom. Proverbs 8, I, I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Common sense and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. Because of me kings reign and rulers make just decrees. Rulers lead with my help and nobles make righteous judgments. Wisdom. Leaders need wisdom. Ladies, are you married to a man who's a leader in your home? Amen. But does he seek wisdom when he makes decisions and leads you? The best wisdom that he can find is from you, ladies. You know that old boy more than anybody else knows him. You probably know him better than his mama knows him. (laughs) Because he acts different around you than he does around his mama. Can I get an amen? Which leads me to the third requirement for good leaders, and that's absolute honesty. (laughs) Proverbs 17, eloquent words are not fitting for a fool, even less are lies fitting for a ruler. Is that not awesome? Leaders and liars are not the same thing, but Washington has that messed up, don't they? As soon as they claim they're a politician, you should know that they're lying to you. I love the way Judge Judy put it one time. How do you know when a teenager is lying to you? When their lips are moving. Fourth requirement for good leaders, godly leaders, is separation from bad influences. (laughs) Remove the impurities from silver, and the sterling will be ready for the silversmith. Remove the wicked from the king's court, and his reign will be made secure by justice. Wow. Wow. A leader must focus on what is right, not just public opinion or lobbying pressures. Hold your finger up in the air and wet it down and hold it in the air and see which way the wind's blowing and that's what you decide. Or do you always decide based on what God tells you in your heart to decide? And if you say you do, then I want to know what God you're following that would cause you to say abortion is okay at any time in a pregnancy. And we have a leader that has said that publicly and lives by it. Number five, personal purity. Don't waste your strength on women and those who ruin kings. Now, why is it always that he picks on women? Don't other men come in and mess up kings also? The man will not honor his marriage vows. What's he going to do with those piddly little vows of public trust? I'd stand up and lie to you all day long. Because really it's someone else's fault, is it not? Children get in trouble, what's the first thing they do? Not me, wasn't me, not me. Oh, all kinds of excuses, don't they? Except the one that's right, and the one that's right is that I blew it. I I made a mistake. (laughs) When my boys were younger, they would get into the cookies. Oreos, they loved Oreos. Oreos do something strange to your mouth. They leave a little black residue all the way around your lips. And it was real easy to figure out who had been in the cookies and who hadn't been in the cookies. Because you lick your lips to get the residue off, and then you bite some more cookies, and guess what? <laughs> and you just had to laugh. You'd come in and get mad at them, right? Not me. I no, no I haven't had any cookies. <laughs> okay. Sounds awesome. Yep. If we don't keep ourselves pure, oh, it's just a small thing. It doesn't really mean anything. Number six. Protection of the weak and the defenseless. In Proverbs 31, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. In 1973, the Supreme Court said, abortion is legal. And from that day forward, more lives have been killed than every war that we've ever fought in in the history of this nation. An inconvenience happened. It's a woman's right to choose. What she does with her body, she already chose. Our president in January, on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, said it's the great, one of the greatest laws that's ever been passed because now girls have the same options as young men. What did he mean by that? A young man can get a girl pregnant and he can just walk away. She has to, however, bear the child, right? But not with abortion. She doesn't have to sideline her dreams now because she can kill that baby. Like that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. God's going to bless a country whose leaders Stand for that. A leader is to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves and defend those who cannot defend themselves. A biblical leader should stand tall on behalf of the unborn. Some would say abortion is legal and the leader is supposed to uphold the law. Certainly being legally right doesn't make something morally right. There's going to come a time when you and I as believers in Almighty God will have to stand for Him or stand for the laws of the land. Get ready. Get ready. Here's my psalm verse for you. Psalm 94 verse 20. Can unjust leaders claim that God is on their side? Leaders whose decrees permit injustice. You say all day long that you're a believer and that you're a Christian, but does your life and your decisions back it up? I should add those who stand for the unborn but, not, but turn a blind eye to the poor, that offends God as well. And when Micah warns the people that God's about to judge, he points his first, uh, his first uh, finger at the corrupt politician. He says, it's your fault, and until we own up to our faults, there's no need for a change. Fault line number two is compromising preachers. Compromising preachers. Look at verse 5, Micah 3. This is what the Lord says, You false prophets are leading my people astray. You promise peace for those who give you food, but you declare war on those who refuse to feed you. Should they be preaching peace when judgment's coming? Should preachers be preaching to the offering place, altering messages so they don't offend people? Do we today really need to drag Jesus down to a lower level in an attempt to make Him more palatable? Did not Jesus himself say, come unto me? And (coughs) and when a preacher invites someone to Jesus, he must present Jesus in all he is without compromise. All he is. We must preach the truth at all times and no matter the cost. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Those are Jesus' words, by the way. So those preachers who would say, "Ah, anybody gets to go, ah, it doesn't matter what you believe, they're lying to you. They're lying to you. Because Jesus himself said, you're not going to get there except through me. So if you think you can buy your way, hope your way, work your way, good your way, you're in trouble. You're in deeper trouble than you know. Being a preacher, I can talk about preachers. Some are really good and some are really not so good. Some want to tickle the ears. Some just lay it down and if you don't like it, you'll get over it. We need to be about our business of bringing a message of salvation to a lost and dying world. I don't need to spend so much time making you feel better about yourself. I need to spend more time getting your heart right with Jesus. Because if your heart's right with Jesus, guess what? You're all of a sudden going to feel wonderful. (laughs) Somebody said, preacher, we ought to talk more about giving. Don't have to. If I just get your heart right with God, you'll give what you have. Well, we need more people to serve. If your heart's right with God, serving's not going to be an issue. Right? Sure. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound somewhat crude, but bear with me. I think God has been more pleased at times with drug addicts than he has been with me. I know he's seen more in a wife beater than he's wished he could see in me. He's hoped I would learn something from someone who's had... Multiple extramarital affairs you might quickly be asking well how could that be true well it is true because of those groups of people that I mentioned thousands of them have been called out of that sin into a life of righteousness in Christ and there's so many preachers that are just going through the motions just saying what they need to say so they can get by one more week, one more Sunday. They've allowed these those people I mentioned, they're allowing God to conform them into His image and so many preachers believe they've already arrived, you see. They don't need to study, they don't need to prepare, they don't need to do those things. I'm absolutely ashamed of my generation of preachers and the in the 50s and early 60s because so many of them have put everything about study on the shelf. They don't study anymore. They're not growing anymore and they're complacent and be right where they are, just satisfied as they can be. I'm not one of them. I'm just grateful God's not comparing my yesterday and holding it against me. But he's sure interested in my Today. And what I'm doing today. Corrupt politicians, compromising preachers, and the third fault line is complacent people. Look at verse 11, Micah 3. You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's laws only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy until you are paid. Yet all who claim to depend on the Lord, no harm can come to us, you say. For the Lord is here among us. This is America. America. God bless America, land that I love. A group of kindergarten teachers are singing that song in Washington, D.C. And liberals are surrounding them and calling them names and saying how stupid they are to sing that song. They should stop. What's wrong with these children? Oh, I'm glad I wasn't there. I would have been arrested because <laughs> I'd have sang with them and I can outsing any five people with a, in a heartbeat. <laughs> because if you're going to tell a kid not to sing God Bless America, then why don't you go find a better nation to live in? The phrase in verse 11, all of you is where the complacent people appear. Complacent people just accept status quo and they don't want to change either. Oh, no, they don't want to change. Are you kidding me? You mean I'm... Oh. People of Israel said, we know the politicians are corrupt. We know the preachers are compromisers. But hey, it's going to be all right because, you know, God is with us the economy's strong, we're happy. Well, (laughs) the economy's not strong. Unless you listen to some people who lead us. But people believe no evil can touch us. No evil can touch us. Supreme Court ruled this week. I get to have health care from now on. Isn't that awesome? Everything in life now is free. I've heard that this week already. Everything that I want is free. Really? I didn't know that. I didn't know it worked that way. But you know, before we get too excited about America being the nation with a Christian heritage, we've got godly roots. May I remind you of a nation called Israel that did as well. And so many other nations which God has judged and wiped them out completely, we must pursue hard after God or destruction will follow. So, where do we go? What do do we do? How do we apply this message today? Well, simply, we should do our part to elect leaders that seek to fulfill God's righteous requirements. Gave you six, there's more. You see, voting is important. If you're not registered to vote, shame on you. Shame on you. Vote. Even if you vote wrong, vote. But you're right. Vote. Because there'll be a day when you won't get that. They'll tell you what to say. They'll tell you who to vote for. You may have to get a purple finger to prove that you voted. Mmm. That really makes voting something, doesn't it? And what do we do when corrupt politicians are in power we can't absolutely control that but we certainly can focus on ourselves and make sure that we aren't compromising make sure that we aren't compromising preachers make sure that Our job in proclaiming the truth to a complacent people in the pew, remembering that promise that we've said now several times today, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive the sin and heal their land. You see, it's a sin issue. And we're loaded up with it. Right here, good old River Oaks, we're loaded up with it. Until you're honest and look in the mirror and say, yep, there I am. I think our nation is in trouble, but I also know that Jesus Christ is the hope of our nation and the hope of the world. I know that. Feel it. He stands as a light for us to follow. His arms of mercy are open to those who will turn from selfishness and evil to Him. Certainly He extends His own righteousness as a free gift. But our acceptance of that righteousness will certainly be evidenced by a life marked by that righteousness. My prayer is that my preaching and yours will be marked by the righteousness, justice, and mercy embodied by Jesus Christ himself. Ultimately, the hope of America is not found in the White House or the State House or in the courthouse. <laughs> the hope of america is found in god's house in your house and in my house father i ask you this morning as we prepare to sing a song of invitation that there might be those in this room this morning who would say you know preacher you've hit the nail on the head and i've been i've not been doing my part god i'm praying that they would respond today God, would they look deep in their soul? Would they see the areas of their life where they need to correct things? And, Father, would they see the need to correct those things? And then, Father, would they get about the business of making that correction? God, if they'll seek you, humbly seek you, turn from their wicked ways, then you promise that you'll hear those prayers You'll heal the sin first, then you'll heal the lamb. We've got to start today at this church with every person in this church and move from here to our family, from our family to our friends, from our friends to our acquaintances, and from there, let the word get out. But God, if we won't change, if we individually won't make any changes, we're doomed. But our hope is not in politicians. It's not in Washington. It's in your word that's preached at this place every time the doors are open. Taught every time the doors are open. And so those that are hungry and want to learn, may they come. And God, today, would you be real in each of our lives? Would we humble ourselves, seek after you, and then turn from our wicked way? In Jesus' name.